0: What a privilege it is to be here with all of you again this morning. We had a great time on Friday evening. If you remember to take a detour after the after the service uh, this morning, before you head off uh, after the service through the family center, we have all of our tables there. All of our all of the visiting missionaries have display tables. Uh, you have. On those tables, we have stickers. So you can stop by and pick something up. Uh, We have our photo books and photo albums. And also, there's some QR codes there if you want to sign up directly for not only our email newsletters, but to follow us on all of our social media accounts as well. Uh, There's ways that you can also, uh, if you are so led, to support us individually uh, above what Newton Bible Church uh, supports us as a congregation. We are uh, we are also uh, very grateful for that. It's a privilege to be here. Um, I told Pastor Matt the last time he was in Ecuador, we seem to just trade off pulpits. Uh, he always comes down, and we always try to take advantage of him for uh, family conferences and always try to have him in the pulpit preaching for us. It was great to be able to, I, if I remember correctly, uh, transmit. Uh, we transmitted a little video uh, clip while the team was there uh, uh, in Ecuador on that Sunday morning. We just made a little recording. If you remember us standing out kind of in a, just a flat piece of dirt is what it was at the time. And then to six months later, be able to uh, receive a small group from here as well for the inauguration of our new building. That was very exciting. We appreciate all the enthusiasm behind uh, what God's been doing in Ecuador over uh, the last few years especially. It's just been a remarkable time for us as well. Uh, I feel like when we're putting together a presentation to bring to you, it's almost like watching ourselves on a movie uh, because in the moment it was so much to do. And it was so busy, and it was so stressful, and it, we just got everything done. And then now to come back and be able to present it to you, it's almost like watching ourselves uh, as well. We're we're watching our own presentation. But the uh, the way God has moved, the way God has worked, the church is growing. I was just uh, just this morning uh, watching our live stream as well from Ecuador. I always check in on them every. Sunday morning, while we're here in the United States, and make sure there's still a church for us to come back to, and there is, so that's that's great. And apparently everything's still working and running, so that's that's good too. Uh, I wanted to uh, begin this morning with a challenge to return tonight, because this morning we're going to cover two of four points that we're going to cover throughout this uh, time during these sessions. And if you only come for the first half, it's like coming in. It's like leaving uh, in the middle of the movie. You never know how it's going to end. And I promise you, the second half will be worth it. And I just checked the forecast because that's what you do here in the United States. Our checking the forecast in Ecuador is: we look, open the curtain and we look outside every morning and see if it's raining or not, or if there's clouds over the mountain. If there's clouds over the mountain, we take a jacket. If there's not, we're good for short sleeves. Uh, you can't, we've learned you can't do that here. Um, we were not prepared for a 50 degree drop in temperatures in just 24 hours. So that was a little bit extreme even for the United States. We're like, come on, Kansas. So <clears throat> we've, been, we've been preparing a, a series of messages to really challenge you about overcoming the barriers to making disciples. And I'd like to use a a memory device to help you remember these messages. Not so much an exposition of, of these stories, but a memory device using the conquering of Jericho by the nation of Israel in the Old Testament to give us a, a way that we can remember uh, the different steps that we'll be, we'll be presenting. But I'm only going to present two of them uh, now this, e- this morning. That never fails. Maybe if we advance one slide. There we go. Yeah. Okay. So I want to first uh, talk a little bit about some terminology and why uh, we're not talking about, uh, why I'm not using the term evangelism or evangelize as much as I prefer the term making disciples. The, the, the term evangelism, evangelize, is the most common term we use in the United States for reaching people for Christ. That's true. But uh, in reality, that term doesn't communicate very well what our task is, what our actual mission is. Uh, in, the, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, uh, evangelize, uh, the term is only used 15 times, and it means proclaim or announce. And I, I feel like the American church is good at that. We're good at that. We are good at that. Uh, we have Christian radio stations. Uh, you, you can't hardly go to the bathroom in the Midwest without finding a track stuck on a urinal or things like that. We're good at proclaiming. We're good at announcing, projecting the message. Uh, but the term evangelist and evangelism is not used very often in the New Testament. It's only used three times uh, in the New Testament to describe an, an office. So while we are called to do the work of an evangelist, I would prefer to refer more to our, our true calling and the commission that Jesus gave us in Matthew 28, 8, 19 through 20, where he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy, of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is our commission. And the idea of making disciples is a broader idea than just simply proclaiming or announcing. We're not firing away the gospel from a distance, hoping it sticks. A kind of a shotgun, shotgun approach. Making disciples is walking alongside someone just as Jesus did with his disciples. As he chose 12 men to follow him for three and a half years where they ate together, they slept together, they, they crossed the ocean together, they had adventures of highs and lows, they confronted they the, the crowds trying to kill Jesus, the multitudes trying to make him king. They walked through all these great adventures together, and they did so side by side with him. That's really the picture of what it is to make disciples, to make followers of Christ. And that's where I kind of have a have a little bit of a a couple of tough questions for you this morning. Just as you had us on the Inquisition up here uh, this morning in Sunday school. Uh, it was, it's a little intimidating just sitting up in chairs and having the whole congregation staring back at you. Uh, but just as you are asking us questions this morning on the panel discussion, I'd have a couple of difficult questions. Put your seatbelts on. Some tough questions about disciple-making in this church, in your community. The question is, how many of you have made a disciple this year? I'm not talking about your kids because we're good at reaching our kids, I think that's Newton Bible Church is great at re- reaching your children for Christ. How many of you have reached someone for Christ, made a disciple this year? How many of you have made a disciple in the last five years? How many of you can name how many disciples have you made in the last ten years? When was the last when uh, during the last baptism service of Newton Bible Church? How many new believers? Adult new believers were baptized, not children, not uh, kids who've grown up in the church, and we all we applaud that and we pray for that for all of our kids. But how many adult new believers from outside of our immediate families participated in, in the last baptism service in this church? Newton Bible Church is very typical of North American churches, and w- when, uh, when Pastor Matt asked me to preach here about missions, I asked if I could present what I believe Newton Bible Church needs to hear, more than another call to go overseas. It seems like we, we're, we're quick to say, yeah, I'm going to reach the nations, but to reach our nation is a whole other ballgame. And I know, I know that there's struggles out there. I know that the obstacles are massive. And it seems like there's been such a tremendous cultural shift in the United States. We've noticed that after being away for four years, coming back to the United States, we notice, we can tell, every church we've attended since uh, being gone for four years, since COVID and all the changes in the rapidly advancing culture has, has created almost a dichotomy of two nations within one here in the United States. It's almost two universes, the, the universe within the church and the universe outside the church. And sometimes those obstacles seem insuper, insu, uh, I'm Sorry, Spanish keeps coming into my mind, insuperable. Um, sometimes those obstacles seem like they, they're, they're beyond our ability to overcome. Sometimes those obstacles seem like I don't even know where to begin when you go to the parts store and the guy behind the counter, you know you need to share Christ with him or, or the, the place where you buy coffee in the mornings or, or your, you, the next door neighbor who you know doesn't attend church anywhere, doesn't have a relationship with Christ, or maybe that family member who, who grew up in the church and has since rejected the faith and now they're living out in the world. You don't even know where to begin to have a conversation with them. Those obstacles can seem completely beyond our ability to overcome. That's exactly what made me think of what the nation of Israel was facing as they crossed over into the promised land and considered conquering their first city. Jericho was an inconquerable obstacle. The Bible goes into great detail to describe what, what they found and what they observed and uh, we can, we can, we'll we'll look at that in a second in the book of Numbers. But in Deuteronomy chapter one, verse twenty-one, there's a remarkable, remarkably similar comment to the nation of Israel, saying, "See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has told you. Do not fear." Or be dismayed. Just as Jesus in, in Matthew tells us, go and make disciples, and I will be with you throughout the process. You're not doing this on your own. He's encouraging the nation of Israel, it's time. Go and take the land. The land is yours. I've given it to you, and don't be afraid, because I'm going to be with you. So this morning, I'd like to you to enter into a little bit of a memory device with me as we as we look at what the nation of Israel went through as they t- conquered the city of Jericho and use that as a parallel to our attempt to conquer this obstacle to making disciples in 2023 the first thing I want to do is give you a kind of a preview for the next uh, message tonight I'm trying to convince you because I know everybody's thinking there's going to be ice storms tonight it's going to be cold maybe I'm just going to stay home I just checked the forecast 34 degrees 34 so we have two degrees we have two degrees to get everybody back here this evening to be able to listen to the second half of the of the message uh tonight but just real briefly the first thing I want to talk about with you this morning is to be realistic about the challenges of the mission we're not painting the world through rose-colored glasses the obstacles that we face are are real, are real. Second, be confident in the power of the message. Though the obstacles that we face are real and they're powerful, our message is more powerful. Third, be flexible to step out of your comfort zone. And if there's anything that better describes stepping out of your comfort zone, it's the way the nation of Israel conquered Jericho. And fourth, tonight we'll talk about being obedient and let God do the work. So just to kind of give you a taste of what's coming tonight, hopefully you'll be motivated. And if it's not for hearing the word of God, it's for eating some ice cream and brownies that we'll have after the evening service. You don't get that. I know ice cream and brownies sounds like a terrible event when it's only 32 degrees outside, but but come and enjoy that opportunity to, to share and have some fellowship tonight. So as we, as we evaluate the first point of this, we want to be realistic about the challenges of the mission. In Numbers chapter 13, uh, verses 1 through 3, we see the nation of Israel finally arriving. They've been pulled out of the nation. They've been rescued out of Egypt. They've seen God work in incredible, miraculous ways that I can't even comprehend what it would have been like to have seen those things. And in uh, verse 1 of chapter 13, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the people of Israel. So they sent them out, and all the kids know, right? The kids know this. Ten men get sent out, and they, they march into the, the... Twelve men get marched out, and the ten were good, or ten were bad, and two were good. We know the story, so we don't, have to, we don't have to spend a lot of time this morning on the story, but I want to jump over to verse 25. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruits of the land. And they told them, We came to the land to which you send us. It flows with milk and honey and this is its fruit. That's the good news. Then they immediately jumped to the bad news. However, verse 28, The people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. The, the report that the spies bring back is accurate in, in many ways. Of course, they exaggerated it. I mean, obviously, uh, they weren't literally the size of grasshoppers, but they were bigger, they were stronger, they were fortified. And in reality, the people of Israel was a group of former slaves. They, they were not warriors. They they were not trained in battle or warfare. They were not equipped with chariots and all of the equipment and weapons of warfare. The evaluation of the situation that they were facing was accurate. And just in the same way as they had to face down that obstacle to overcome, that the land has been promised to us, but it just seems unreachable. It seems unconquerable. That's how I think that we, seem, we tend to think about making disciples ourselves. It's easy to support missionaries who are going and going in, out in Africa. It's probably easier. In, in Ecuador, it's, it's easier. I, I want to tell you by firsthand experience, it's not easier. I trained for 12 years to become a missionary in, in Ecuador. From the time that God called me into missions in my freshman year in college, I came back home all fired up about missions, all fired up about my calling into missions, changed my major to Bible and started really studying to become a missionary and graduated from seminary, uh, raised our support and did all of this work and all this preparation, got trained on intercultural studies and all these kinds of things and went to a year of language school to learn how to speak Spanish. And I get off the plane in Ecuador, and I had never considered one simple question. What do I tell people I do for a living? Put yourselves in, in the people's shoes. So I get off the plane in Ecuador, and I shake your hand and meeting you for the first time. Hi, what do you do? I'm here to change you from your li- religion. I- I'm here to convert you to from something that you've grown up with, your grandparents and your great-grandparents have always believed. I'm here to change that for you. Was, is that doesn't seem like a great way to make friends and influence people. So the work of the missionaries overseas is not any easier than the work that you're facing on a daily basis. We just have to find ways to get into the culture. In our case, it was when we moved into Kayambe. I, the first thing was to learn all about the culture and all about the people around us. And going to the tourism department, I was getting some brochures and I just happened to speak to the lady who was behind the counter and said, you know, I'm gathering all these materials because I'm new here, Uh, we live in the community, and I feel like it's important if we're going to live in the community to be a part of the community and contribute in some way to the community. So if there's anything I can ever do to help uh, in tourism, uh, the one thing I can offer is that I'm a native English speaker, Uh, I'd be happy to help you translate some of your brochures or anything like that if, if that would be something you would desire. And the lady behind the counter said, I think this is a great opportunity. We just had 12 native guides certified for the government, certified by the government to lead tours here in Ecuador, uh, but none of them speak any English. Would you teach a class? Would you be willing to teach an English class? I've never studied teaching English as a second language. And I immediately said, yes, I would love to do that. Because they needed an identity. So rather than walking around town saying, hi, I'm here to convert you from your religion, when people said, what do you do? I say, I'm helping in the uh, Ministry of Tourism, teaching English to native guides. Oh, wow, that's great. Let me tell you all about it. And later on, uh, photography became a big part of that ministry as well, to provide those materials. And people would eventually people would say, uh, so what are you doing here? And I'd say, well, I'm here to teach the Bible uh, and I'm also helping in the Ministry of Tourism, and they teach skip over all the Bible and the religious part, and they jump on there, wow, that's really neat, interesting that you're here to teach English, or you're here to teach photography, or they have something in common, some common bond. So as we begin to contemplate that, the mission is different, difficult. It is daunting. The reality is what God has called us to do is daunting. He has called us to bring life to the dead, literally. That's our calling. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1-3, through three, I have it here on the screen for you. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. that sound familiar in our culture today? Whoa. Sorry. There we go. That's what that was supposed to say. <clears throat> so does that sound familiar in our culture today? We are, our task is to bring life to the dead. In Ephesians, it says you were dead in trespasses and sins. We're not just trying to reform somebody. We're not offering them a a makeover to their life. We're not just offering to improve their lifestyle or to make them happy or to bring peace to their families. We're not offering them just some kind of makeup or dress them up in a certain way. You can dress up a dead body. You could put a suit and tie on them and wheel them into the church every Sunday and that will not bring them life. We are called to bring life to the dead. The good news is, the good news is that we are already examples of that. We are already examples that that is possible. The the mission is to bring righteousness to sinners. There we go. Nope. There we go. Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 32. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. These are your neighbors. These are your friends. These are your co-workers. These are the people you go to school with. This is what we're facing. This is our call is to reach out to these people. And the surprising thing about sinners is they tend to act like sinners. They tend to act that way. And sometimes when, when, when we want to make disciples, we just are surprised that sinners are sinners. That happens to us all the time in Ecuador because in Ecuador, I've worked with people, some of them for 15 years, I've been inviting them to our church. And every time I invite them, they say, Oh, yeah, you know what? I'd love to come to church this Sunday. I'll be there. What time is it again? I tell them what time it is. Where is it again? I tell them where to find the church. And they say, yep, I will be there. This is the Sunday. I'll see you you at church on Sunday. And I'm always happy to say, yes, okay, great. I'll be looking for you. I'll wait for you at the door. And I wait for them at the door. And what happens? They don't ever come. They don't ever come. You can work with people for 5, 10, 15 years, and they will lie to your face over and over and over again because they're sinners. Their lifestyle is because they are sinners. They are dead in their sins, and they act like it. And that scares us sometimes as believers. I don't even know where to start with our next-door neighbors. My mom and dad live in a neighborhood in South St. Louis uh, that has been basically completely taken over by immigrants from Bosnia and from other Eastern European nations. The neighborhood I grew up in, the house I grew up in is where we're staying here in the United States. And the next door neighbors, I don't think even speak English. How would I even begin to start reaching them for Christ? How do you even begin to have a conversation with them? Went down to the corner store where my mom always used to send me as a kid to buy milk and things like that. And I walk in and everything is in Bosnian. This is in South St. Louis. How do you even begin to cross the barriers to make disciples in that community? How many Hispanics live in Newton? Anybody ever done the research? How many people who speak other languages are constantly surrounding you? How can Newton Bible Church reach all of these cultures that you don't have to fly, you don't have to get on an airplane to reach because they've come to you? How can, as a church, we overcome this incredible barrier, this incredible obstacle to bring life to the dead, to bring righteousness to the sinner? How can we overcome that? The answer is to be confident in the power of the message. We have to be confident in the power of the message. In Numbers, what we see is the majority could only see the giants. And the, the, the massive walls of the city. But in chapter 14, verses 1 through 8, we see that in the congregation raised a loud cry. The people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Same story. If you read through numbers and read through the people of Israel, they, they were grumblers. They were grumblers. Newton Bible Church faces a choice. You can react the way the people of Israel reacted. And unfortunately, as we've traveled around the country, we've listened to Christian radio, we've listened to commentators and things like that. What we hear is these kinds of conversations. We got to protect our kids. We got to circle the wagons. The world out there is scary and it's bad and they've lost control and we we need to Take care, take care of ourselves. The American church is losing the vision for reaching their own communities because they think they're beyond help. They're beyond, they're beyond reach. They're out of reach. They're, they're so far gone that we just need to concentrate on reaching our own children, teaching our own children well, and insulating them from all outside influence. That's exactly what the nation of Israel wanted to do here. They wanted to circle the wagons they wanted to back off, and they wanted to go back to Egypt. They pre- would prefer slavery in Egypt than to trust God to conquer the land He had given them. That's choice one, number one. Choice number two, as a church and as a person, you can decide. You can decide to be. A, you can decide to be a Caleb or a Joshua. Verse. Um, Verse 5 says, Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly and the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we passed through to spy it out is, exceedingly, is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, He will bring us into this land and give it to us a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land for they are bread for us. In other words, it'll be a piece of cake. You hear that term? There's this, this is where it's coming from. They're bread for us. It'll be a piece of cake. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation, how do they respond? They said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. And we know the, the rest of the story is that God sends them into the desert for 40 years because they chose the wrong answer. Here's Caleb and Joshua, the only two, saying, We can do this. God has promised that this is our mission. He's given us this task. He's given us the task. It's before us. He's promised that he is going to give it to us. He is going to follow through. Why are we afraid? If he is with us, who can be against us? And the people chose disobedience. And God sent them to the desert to wander for 40 years. Why for 40 years? So that that entire generation of leaders would die in the desert, and he could start over with a new generation of young people coming up through the land. And we'll talk about that tonight. That's why you need to come back tonight. When they actually begin to conquer and what it took to overcome those obstacles of Jericho. So we can be, first of all, confident in the power of the message. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14-17 to 17 says, Be thanks, but thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. The reality is we have the power to convict and we have the power to convince The reality is not everyone you preach to is going to accept the message. My next door neighbor in Ecuador has lived across the street from me for 15 years. And I have spoken to him about the gospel and I've shared the gospel with him. I've hired him to do work at our church just to get him on the property so he could look and see for himself where it is, Taken away every excuse we've brought his kids to kid's club and he has never once accepted an invitation to church never once accepted the gospel. Never once sat through a message and accepted what I had to share. I've shared Bibles. I've shared Bible studies. I've shared videos. I've shared multimedia with him, and he just has not ever come to Christ. He's always said, no. My next-door neighbor, the the one person who's exposed to me more than anybody else in the whole country, but at the same time, just recently, about s- six months ago, I was preaching a message on salvation at the church. And one of the men who only had just been to church for a couple of weeks and had only been to the men's Bible study, he had been our, he was in our Sunday morning message for the first time. And after the message was over, he came up to me and said, Pastor, you're right. What am I doing? What am I doing? God, God needs to forgive me. I'm a sinner, and I'm going to hell. If I don't accept Christ, I need to do it, and I need to do it right now. What am I waiting for? And I'm kind of trying to slow him down a little. So, because usually in Ecuador, I try to make sure people really thoroughly understand what salvation is all about, but he answered all of my questions. He had it. He understood what he was going to do, and he prayed the sinner's prayer that morning with me and was baptized two months later. Some people, for some people, our message is a fragrance of life. And for some, look what it says, verse 16, 2 Corinthians 2, verse 16, to one, a fragrance from death to death, to the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? for we are not like so many peddlers of God's word but as men of sincerity as commissioned by God in the sight of God we speak in Christ our commission is to be obedient and to preach to share and we're going to talk tonight about how to do that and that's going to that's going to cause some some Maybe a little bit of uncomfortable emotions in our lives that that may make us feel a little bit uncomfortable when we find out what it really takes to make disciples. Because it's easy to preach, it's easy to drop a uh, it's easy to drop a leaflet over the back fence. You know that your, your your neighbors had a drunken party on Saturday night and there's beer bottles all over the backyard and I'm gonna put a tract in their mailbox because they need Jesus. That's, 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 that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about making disciples. We're talking about getting into their lives, living lives with them, sitting at the table together, and we'll talk about that all tonight. But what Jesus has promised us is that if we are that fragrance of Christ, although some people will reject that because it's a smell of death, it's reminding them that their current actions are drawing them into the punishment uh, that's eternal, but for others, it's a breath of life. For others, it's exactly what they've always been looking for. It's, it's what they needed. And you will see dry bones come back to life. In First Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 8, it says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, this the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. There's no guarantee that the, the rock of Jesus that we depend on won't be a stumbling stone for those that we're trying to share with. But we can be confident in the message. The message is the rock. What people do with it whether they accept it and they build their life on it, or whether they stumble over it and it becomes a stumbling block for them and it becomes a source of irritation, that's up to them. But we have to be faithful in putting it before them. We have to be faithful in presenting the message. We have to be faithful in fulfilling our commission to do so. The good news is the proof of the message The proof of the power of this message is in you. You're the proof that what we preach about Christ works. That what we preach about him is is effective. That there is life for the dead. There is life for those who are dead in, in sin. There is a resurrection. There's righteousness for sinners. Because you are living it every day if you're in Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. Many of you know this by heart. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Amen. 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 This is that should be if there's not a passage in the Bible that should evoke an amen in you, that should be this one. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You are the proof of your message. You are the testimony that God, what what you're presenting to your neighbors, to your aunts and your uncles, to your cousins and to your friends and coworkers. You are the proof. You are the evidence that your message works. You are the testimony. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 and 23, it says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. You have already been through the process that you're presenting to the people that you were called to to preach to. You've already been there. You've been there and you've done that. Some of you may have grown up in church and you say, well, you know, I never really, I don't have a dramatic testimony. Trust me, you were a sinner. Trust me, trust me. You don't have to you, you you don't have to work real hard to come up with how you are a sinner. You you don't have to work real hard to find the ways that you fail on a daily basis when you compare yourself to the holiness of God. That, that you don't need a, a dramatic story of that you were uh, living off the streets and on drugs and God miraculously saved you from addiction and now you're following Him in Christ. You don't need a backstory. That that's, that's that dramatic. It's enough for you to be able to explain to people I was lost. I was dead in my sins. And even if you were six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old, when you understood that fact and you accepted Christ as your Savior, you were saved from all of the things that that condition would have left, let, led you to. And by God's grace, you didn't have to go through all of those things. Believe me. Don't ever regret that you don't have a powerful testimony or that you don't have a powerful backstory. Every man in our church, in our men's meeting, if I could call them up here on the stage today, would say to all of you young people, don't don't wait like I had. Don't wait like I did. Because all of them are now dealing with the consequences of all of those decisions. Some of our men in our church accepted Christ when they are already destroyed their lives, destroyed their marriages, destroyed their kids. We have men in our in our men's group who are now trying to reach their adult children and their grandchildren for Christ, who their adult children are alcoholics because they were raised by a father who was an alcoholic, who's now been saved by grace. So don't ever think that you need to have enough sin in order to show that what you were saved from you were saved from a life of death and destruction in Christ. That's all that you need to share. And that by God's grace, you've been reconciled to God through Christ. That's our message, and that's our hope. And we are the living proof that God transforms lives that in 2023, in spite of everything you see on the TV and everything that you see happening in the culture around us, God is saving and sanctifying men and women every day and giving them an alternative, a rock to build their lives on, a truth to stand on, and you have that in your hands. Not only do you have it in your hands, you have the privilege of knowing that God has called you to conquer that land, you have the commission in your hands from the King of Kings saying, Go and make disciples of all nations. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. You have that in your hands. Your only decision now is are you going to do it? Or are you going to return to Egypt? Are you going to grumble? Are you going to complain or are you going to do what it takes to fulfill your commission no matter how great the obstacles are no matter how big the walls are no matter how big the difference in culture divide is no matter how uncomfortable it makes you feel to talk to one of those people no matter how strange it is to feel like are we really going to invite them over for dinner or how uncomfortable it makes you feel if they invite you over for dinner. We have been given the Great Commission, and we have been given the power to see it fulfilled. We just have to obey. So come back tonight, second half of the message. We'll be able to find, figure out some ways to go about doing that. It's going to take some creativity going to take some getting out of your comfort zone a little bit. But making disciples is possible and it's real. And when I come back in a couple of years, I hope the church is full of new believers. Finally. Thank you, God. (laughs) One in the congregation. Bless you, brother. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to share this morning. Thank you for your word and its promises. Thank you. Thank you for putting your precious word in, in our feeble hands. Father, we pray for this congregation and for the great commission that we would be faithful. That through this entire county, word would spread that in these walls, your word is taught, that the word of life, it can be found here, and that testimonies of radical transformations in the gospel, one after another, would, be, would follow. Father, we pray for strength and courage. We pray that we would not fall into the temptation of the people of Israel on seeing the the obstacles before them, that we would not shrink back, that we would not be afraid, that we would not circle the wagons and hide, that we would not seek out the wilderness above fulfilling our commission. We pray that you would make us like Caleb and Joshua, ready to go. Not underestimating the obstacles, not ignoring the difficulty of the task ahead of us. It is a miraculous and supernatural task that you have given us. But the power is not in us. The power is in your word and your spirit. You have given us this land. Father, we pray that you would give us the strength and the courage to be obedient, to reach it for you. Father, thank you for this opportunity to be here this weekend for incredible ministries we're surrounded with in this church, the stories of servants who have followed you to the ends of the earth and have seen you work and have seen you transform lives, that that testimony and that power of transformation, that church planting and that that disciple-making heart would be seen beginning at home and that we would really, truly see a church mobilized to reach its community for Christ. Thank you, Father, and give us, a, give, us, give us the power to remember and to apply these things, not just be hearers of your word, but doers of it. In Jesus' name, amen.